We're continuing to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, if you have a good memory, you may remember that uh, we had two little series on uh, vessels. And uh, the apostle describes believers as those who are vessels. And uh, he actually, this is what he says, let me read it to you properly. All right. But verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We thought about the, the treasure, the earthen vessels, the excellency of the power. The earthen vessels were us, were clay pots. Uh, the treasure is the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus. And the excellency of the power is of God and not of us. And then we thought about being filled, our vessels being filled, um, especially and particularly with the Holy Spirit himself. Let's go on and look at uh, from verse 8 onwards, see how far we get. Again, I mentioned this morning about the problem for preachers is the application of the word. Now, Paul is writing from his own personal experience. Some of them at Corinth had similar experiences, but not to the extent of him. And as we go through it, uh, we might say, uh, and not in any um, self-centered way, well, to be honest, I have known those things. I've known some trials and difficulties, but not to that extent. And therefore, I'm not sure if what you have to say, what Paul has to say, is particularly relevant to me. And I understand that. I'm not saying you must have these terrible experiences before you can experience great blessings. I am not saying that. But there are some of the people of God who are going through similar things here and now. Not so much perhaps in the UK, but certainly in other parts. And we often hear Gary speak about the experiences they have in Sri Lanka. I mean, what must it be like to be an ordinary little believer in Sri Lanka and similar places and the horrendous hardships they suffer from day by day by day by day? I guess most of us today have had something to eat. Uh, we've had it, we've had cooked it ourselves, or somebody's cooked it for us, and it's been nice. We might have had one or two, or perhaps even three meals, and perhaps you're going home to supper. Who knows? But imagine that's a rare experience. Imagine that doesn't happen every day. Not every day will you get a meal. Not every day will you eat. And apart from those physical, natural things of which you are deprived, then when you go a step out of your little shed or your little house or whatever you live in, then you are persecuted because you believe in the Lord Jesus. That's the only reason you believe in the Lord Jesus. You're not part of our tribe, our gang. And then there's verbal abuse. And then there's physical abuse. And that's the real experience of a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ in various places. And Paul is addressing some of that. 
And what I would say to you, therefore, in application, some of these things might, in a mild sense, apply to you, to me. Um, but if they don't, just say, well, I'm not, I haven't learned anything tonight. Learn that this is real for some, and may that lead you to pray for these folk, whether Sri Lanka or other places, pray for these folk and support them in prayer and financially. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. It's our duty and privilege to do what we can. So that's a little bit of background before we come into these actual things. There's a little list in 8 and 9, a little pairs, all right? Little pairs of, of, of words that describe what Paul has gone through and is going through. And the other thing is, I want to tie in verse 1 again. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we faint not. We don't give up. We don't lose heart. And as we go through these things, I want that to be at the background. Uh, if we had a head in uh, above me, you know, projected, of course, that would be the head in. Do not give up. Do not faint. Do not lose heart, even though these things, this may, may be your experience, or, uh, daily perhaps, or monthly, or occasionally, or whatever. Do not lose heart. <coughs> One of the, <coughs> the biggest <coughs> temptations, I think, that the enemy throws at his people today is they lose heart, they faint, they give up, and there's so much that will cause us I think sometimes it would be better if we, we didn't read any newspapers or look at, listen to any news or watch any, uh, any television news because of the, the things that are happening daily, absolutely daily in the UK and elsewhere. Because you just feel so disheartened at what's going on. All right. Now having said all that, let's look at some of these, <coughs> these words. Now, what I've done, I've, uh, I've written them down. I might have a bit of paper here in, in the couplets they are, and I've looked up uh, the actual meanings uh, to see if that would help us. And I've got to the top here. We are, but we are not. All right? We are, but we are not. And so here are things, little couplets. We are this, but we're not that. We are this, but we're not that. We are this, but we're not that. And we need to concentrate on we are not. We are not that. We are not that. We are not that. We are not that. We are this, we are this, we are this, but we're not that. Have you got it? Where are you? Do you know what you're doing? Do you know what I'm saying? Look, let's look at it. We are troubled. We are troubled. Uh, the word really means we are pressed down. I suppose you could think about it of being depressed, literally. We are pressed down, as you would press grapes. Pressed, compressed, straightened, distressed. That's the meaning behind this word. And lots of us are troubled about various things. I don't need to list them. You have your own troubles, I have my own troubles. We are troubled. I have a dear friend I've mentioned several times who loves to ask me a question whenever he sees me. He says, Colin, are you rejoicing? And he wants you to say, yes, I am. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
but sometimes I, to please him, I say, yes, I'm rejoicing. <laughs> but I don't feel it. I wish he would say, I wish he wouldn't ask. Sometimes I'd like just the grace to say, no, I'm not. I'm feeling so miserable. So what are you going to do about it? But I, I try and be gracious. We go through troubles of various kinds. We are troubled, said the Apostle. We as apostles, we who are servants of the Lord, we are troubled about various things. He talks about troubles outside the churches. He talks about troubles inside the churches, the care of the churches. He wasn't a fly-in, fly-out type of evangelist, you know, come in, have a campaign, fly off. No, he cared about these people. He wanted to establish churches. Uh, Godly men would lead godly churches, and he was concerned that they would teach the word of God uh, and establish a church, and then another church, and another church, and another, and then he would be concerned that they were growing. And there were things that were happening in these infant churches. The kiddies were squabbling, the children were quarreling. It was a concern for him almost on a daily basis. So we are troubled on every side, yet we are not distressed. It's almost the opposite, but it's not the actual opposite word. All right? This means, again, to be in a narrow place. It means to be straightened. It means to be solely in spirit, tightened, as it were. We are troubled, but we are not distressed to the extent that we are out there and it's too much for us and we can't cope. Yes, the troubles mount up, but somehow, some way, by the grace of God and the work of the Spirit, we don't collapse totally. We are Troubled, but we're not absolutely, totally distressed. Thank God. And then he says, we are perplexed. It means without resources. To be, in, to be left wanting, to be embarrassed, not knowing what way to turn, knowing what to do. What is the answer to this? Ever been in that situation? Something's happened, and you just don't know what to do. You just don't know what to do, where to go. Who can you talk to? Who can you ask for advice? Who can ask for help? You're in a total state of disarray, and and, uh, you just don't know what to do. Just don't know what to do. I don't know if you've ever been lost geographically. These days, um, it's difficult to be lost if you have a mobile phone. Um, you take your phone out and you go, doo, 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 and that pops you know, and says, here you are, you silly boy, and that's the way out. And it's very clever, isn't it? All this GPS stuff. But before all those days, you could get lost, and it's a dreadful feeling to be lost. I was going to see a friend in Liverpool, I was going travelling from North Wales and I had my GPS on, this nice lady told me where to go and where not to go but the trouble is she didn't know that the council had dug the road up and she said you go down there and I said to her you can't go down there my love because there's no road there because it's up because the council are doing it 
I'm going to try another way. And she said, well, try this way. And, go, and then go down that road. I can't go down that road because it's not there. The council had dug it up. Oh, I'll try this way. And, go, and, and, come, and she kept taking me back to that road. I felt like shouting, at, what's the matter with you? Can't you see? There's no road there. I was totally lost. And in the end, I decided to follow the council directions. It's a diversion. Go that way, and then that way, and out I came. Praise the Lord. But it's dreadful being lost and knowing what to do and where to go. And he says, you know, we are, we are perplexed, but we're not utterly perplexed. We're not utterly destroyed. We're not utterly devoid of and destitute of, of measure or resources. One word says, this is what we're like sometimes. We feel we've got no hope and no help and we don't know what to do. But we're not absolutely like that. We are not totally distressed. We're not totally perplexed. We're not totally destroyed. We have a gracious God who intervenes sovereignly. We have a gracious God who providentially provides for those particular and special needs. And we're just amazed. We're just amazed at God's kindness. Here's a little question for you. What do angels do? You say, what do you mean, what do angels do? Well, when... The Bible says that angels are ministering spirits to the people of God. What do they do? Now, I can't quote you a verse and say, well, this is what they do. But they minister to the people of God. In other words, they, as it were, do the little business that God sends them to do for his people. Now, we could have lots of discussions about this, and, and uh, I'm not going to do it tonight. But I suspect... The Lord has a little angel of lost keys. I wonder if he lives in your house and visits you occasionally. He seems to visit my house every single day. Now you say, Colin, you're going way out. Well, I may be, but I give God the glory. Right? I give God the glory. Where are those keys? If Bear was alive, she'd say, well, where did you put them? If I knew where I put them, I'd know where to look for them. I don't know where I put them. I've told you this previously. It just happens today I lost the keys of my motorbike. I said, where are they? They should be there in the little pot in the garage. Aren't they? And then here they are in the door with my car keys. Thank you, Father. Thank you. An angel of keys. Now, come back to the scriptures. Stop being fanciful. We are perplexed but we're not utterly depressed, not utterly cast down, not utterly at a loss. We are persecuted. Now, Paul knew real persecution. We in the UK, as I say, know very little about it. We may have people who don't like us. We may have neighbors who are a bit nasty. But they don't really persecute us. 
not real persecution that Paul knew, that the saints of God on the ages have knew, that some people, as I already said, are knowing today, tonight, tomorrow, real persecution. They persecuted. They followed after. Uh, they ru- people run and after these folk to pursue them, to swiftly catch them, and all this kind of the, the thought of pursuing and being nasty, persecuted. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We're not abandoned. We're not left to ourselves, totally, utterly abandoned. Thank God for that. Thank God that some of his people who are persecuted in some parts, uh, they are put in a prison, and finally they are let out. Praise God for that. I think I told you the story of a, of a man, I think he might have been in China, who was put in prison for preaching the gospel. I think he was there 10 years. When he went out and he went back to his wife, she hardly recognized him. And the little lad who was a baby when he left, and now he's 10 years old and plus, and the little boy didn't know who he was. Who was this strange man? It was his dad. Persecuted, but not totally. And we have to say, if we're truthful to the scriptures and to history, some, perse- some are persecuted even unto death, and the Lord takes them home. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down. Cast down. Literally means being thrown to the ground, to be prostrate before, uh, before your enemies or before whoever's persecuting you, to be put in a lower place, to, to make you feel so small. Have you ever experience? You meet these clever people, they say, are you a Christian? Yes. Oh. And they look at you with a pitying look. I thought you had more sense than that. Oh, that really gets me going. Only because it's pride, I suppose. How dare you? Don't you know how clever I am? No. But you, you look sensible. How are you a Christian? You believe that old stuff? Well, I do. <laughs> and an uncle once, who wasn't a believer... Brought up as a Welsh Baptist, alas, didn't continue. And he said to me, Colin, uh, uh, you understand you're a Christian, don't you? So tell me, is it, is, it a, is it a question of just kind of simple faith, or, or have you kind of got a, a kind of evidence or reasons and an explanation, philosophical or scientific or whatever? And uh, I said, well, you know, I just believe in the Lord Jesus. I'm a simple believer. And he just laughed. I see him laughing now. Who knows where he is? I took his funeral. He was an actor. And all his acting mates were there. Peculiar bunch. And I said this. I looked for something from Shakespeare, because he was a Shakespeare actor. I looked for something from Shakespeare to tell you. And I can't find anything that's particularly helpful or relevant. I know very little about the works of Shakespeare, but I tell you what, I do know something about the works of Christ. And so that's what they got. They laugh at you. 
They put you down. They make you feel small. You know the verse I love in the Psalms, you know it. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Not the clever person, the intelligent people, the intellectual person. The fool, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I heard David Attenborough describe a flower. And this little flower, all right, it's a very clever little flower because it opens and closes and it gets flies in and then it closes. The fly is kept. But it doesn't eat the flies like some flowers do. Um, and so the fly is buzzing around in and closed and gets the pollen, pollen on its wings or whatever. And then the next day the flower opens and the fly flies off, goes to another flower, similar, and pollinates. That's amazing. How did they know what to do? Because according to David Atterburn and his mates, everything is evolving. So at once upon a time, there was this little flower who had these little things and he kept them open and fl- flies flew in and flew out and, and they weren't pollinated. They weren't there long enough. And, and so the, they, had a, they had an annual meeting of the flowers to have suggestions what to do. All right? And, and they said, well, what I know, what if we close in and then they can't get out? Well, that's a good idea. Let's try that. Well, they tried that for a thousand years, and it didn't work. So they have another annual meeting by, well, by annual meeting by thousands. Right? They have another annual meeting. Well, listen now. What we need to do is to close it, then open it. That's clever. So they did that, and it worked. Wonderful. But it took a couple of thousand years or a million years. There's always a million years with David Attenborough, or billions. God said it. It was done day one. Have you got that? Day one. God created this little flower that would open and close from day one. No evolving. No trying this, that, and that. No. Don't they realize if you don't get it right the first time, that's the end of the species. It's going to be right from day one. No, there may be adoptions. There may be developments. But it's got to be right from the first day one. The fool said in his heart there is no God. All right. Where was I? So, we are cast down, but not destroyed, not perished, not totally lost, totally put away. We are and we are not. And thank God we're on the victory side. We need to remember that our God is sovereign and we are on the victory side. Now, he then goes on, and this is a diff- the difficult part. He talks about bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And this is a difficult phrase and there are other similar phrases where Paul seems to be implying that he is making up for the sufferings of Christ now what we must say whenever we have a difficult subject we say let's establish the basics and then go from the basics then to what seems to be what is saying or not saying 
So the basics is simply this. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf for our sins, and it was total. It was finished. Done. No more suffering for sin. No more suffering for atonement. No more suffering shedding his precious blood for his people's redemption. Finished. So in what sense does Paul talk about suffering, filling up the sufferings of Christ? Well, in the sense that Christ continues to suffer, not as he did on the cross, physically, actually, literally, but suffer in the sense of because of his union with his people. So he suffers, in a sense, vicariously on their behalf, as it were, when they suffer, he suffers. Now, you'll know something of this uh, at a much lower level. When you have some dear one who is going through some difficult time, whatever it is, surgery, operations, whatever, and you feel for them. You're almost sharing with them. You're not actually experiencing it, but you're almost sharing with them. You understand some of this empathy, as it were. Now, the easiest way uh, to demonstrate that is uh, the Lord himself talking to Saul of of, uh, Tarsus. And you remember, as he meets him on the road to Damascus, he says, he doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? Which is what he was doing. His actual words were, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? You're persecuting me. But in a literal, physical sense, Paul, Saul, wasn't persecuting the Lord Jesus because he was in heaven. But he was persecuting his people. And the Lord so identifies himself with his people, and he says to Saul, in fact, when you persecute them, you are persecuting me. Because there's a union of myself and my people. When they rejoice, I rejoice. When they suffer, I suffer. Now, now that's, that's plainly what the scriptures teach. The Lord is so concerned with his people. He's so united to his people. He feels for his people. We keep, I keep quoting, don't I, uh, uh, Hebrews 4, uh, where we, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but who is all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He feels it. He's not immune from it. He doesn't sit up in heaven and say, oh, well, you're going through it. I'm sorry about that. But you'll be all right in the end. I'll bring you through. He feels that. He's involved in that. Amazingly. Amazingly. And so Paul talks about this kind of suffering um, like with Christ or whatever. He's not saying, when I suffer, I'm suffering like the Lord Jesus suffered on the cross. Obviously, he's not saying that. He's not talking about that. But he is talking about this empathy, this, this suffering that the Lord felt and went through. And uh, it's, it's strange language to us. For we which live and are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Preaching the gospel for Saul meant a life of suffering and the possibility of death, which actually happened eventually to him. 
And there are people throughout our world tonight. This week they'll go and preach the gospel. And they will suffer physically and mentally. And some will die. Now we know little about that. We don't have to go to Sri Lanka. We can think more locally of, of the open air mission, for example. People like Mike Mellon. And they're out in the streets. And they get abuse. And they get legal action if they dare say anything. And, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. Now, that doesn't happen to us. As far as I'm aware. Um, but it happens to Mike and others uh, who do this. And we, again, should pray for them, support them, um, encourage them, uh, because they're doing a work which perhaps we are not called to or which we feel we couldn't do, but they're doing they're at the front line, as we say in the valleys, they're at the coal face. Death works in us, but life in you. We have the same spirit of faith according to written. I believe, therefore I have spoken. So we also believe, therefore speak. And that's a quote from Psalm 116. And in the verse he talks about, I was greatly troubled. Interesting. And all things are for your sakes. What we do, what we suffer, what we go through is because we are concerned for you. It's not that we want to get a name. Is that we want to ha- have our name up there in lights? No, we are concerned for you and your spiritual well-being. We are concerned for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our passion. Our passion. We love the people of God. We want them to, to walk closer to him and live closer to him and be useful in the kingdom. And we will do what it takes to accomplish that. For all things are for your sakes. And then listen to this. That the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Abundant. It's a lovely word. Do you know anything about abundance? Abundance, the abundance of grace, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, Romans 5, 6. Sin and its destruction and its devastation and its ugliness, grace greater than sin, greater than the Lord we Covered more than Adam lost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The abundance of grace. Remember Jesus saying, I have come that they might have life. Is that your version? Is that what you read? You have the wrong Bible. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. When we did children's work, we used to teach the kiddies a little little song. I won't sing it to you. I might. Perhaps I will. But anyway, it went something like this. More abundantly, more abundantly. Yes, uh, that they might have life more abundantly. And I used to ride my scooter 
and I used to toot it out, the tune on my horn, because I went down the road, more abundantly, more abundantly. People thought I was mad. The police stopped me once. It's true. They stopped me. And they said, you're driving too close. <laughs> they could hear the singing, I think. Anyway, more abundantly. That's the grace. That's the life. Might resound through the thanksgiving. You've read all this stuff, and it's hard, and you know some of it in your lives. I know some of it in my life. And yet, at the end of this, it talks about abundant grace. It talks about thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. That must be the height, the height of praise, when we can thanks, thank God, even through difficult, difficult, difficult days. We say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're God. Thank you, Lord, that you're sovereign. I don't understand why you allow me to go through this, why you brought me through this, but, Lord, I just thank you that you are God. And you cannot fail, and you will not fail, and you'll bring me to glory whenever that will be. But thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. I don't know how many of us are that place. I don't think I am most of the time. The abundant grace... And through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. Gary and I keep repeating this to you oft times, um, and we repeat it to ourselves, I trust, more times. The chief end of man. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper said that the more we glorify God, the more we enjoy God. And the more we enjoy God, the more we glorify God. And that's the way it works. All this, all this is to the great glory of a great God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We confess some of it's difficult, some of it's hard. Uh, some of it may not directly apply to us. You know our circumstances. But we thank you that overall, you are God and in total control and help us to learn to trust you. And we don't lose heart. We don't give up. We don't faint. Some of us want to. We want to give up. We've had enough. We're fed up. The responsibility of this, that and the other. The things that we have to do and not do and all the rest. Of it. Sometimes we just want to give up. Keep us going. Please, Father, keep us going. Keep us trusting. Keep us saying, thank you, Lord. I don't understand, but thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, our final hymn is a very short little hymn. It's a very dear little hymn. I trust that you will know it, 801, 801, just two verses and a chorus. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy to multiplied trials his multiplied grace.
His love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Sing it to the praise of God, 801. love has no limit, thy grace has no measure, thy power has no boundary known unto men, for out of thy infinite riches in Jesus you giveth and giveth and giveth again. Father, maybe that may be our experience in the days to come, whatever may come, may we know the abundant grace thanksgiving that will resound to your glory. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and love of God the Father and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and remain with God's people here until he comes and then forevermore. Amen.